Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We've got a lot coming on the show as we digest the news events of the past few days. In segment two, Kurt Kovarik, the Vice President of Federal Affairs with Clean Fuels Alliance America, will be joining the show. Yesterday, we saw those renewable volume obligations released from the EPA amid really much cheering from the conventional corn ethanol segment. But those biofuel requirements were not as enthusiastic as renewable biodiesel, soy-based biodiesel, and sustainable aviation fuel proponents were hoping for. So Kurt will break down exactly how perhaps the EPA missed the ball in this RVO requirement. And then in segment three, Emily Solis, the communication manager for the Animal Ag Alliance, will be joining us. The Animal Ag Alliance keeps track of what animal rights extremist groups are up to, and they went to five different conventions over this past year to see what their policies might look like here in this next year. And she's going to join us with that update. And we're going to close the show with Mike Zuzalo, president of Global Commodity Research and Analytics. We're going to talk about these markets. And folks, the markets are moving today. The wheat market down 17 to 20 cents. We've got soybeans up after yesterday's sell-off, currently trading three to five cents higher. Corn market down on the day, probably some spillover weakness from the wheat market with March corn down 11 cents, December 23 down two. We'll get Mike's thoughts on all of those factors here to close out the show today. Before we jump too far into the news, however, we did have some big news break yesterday. This is important news for the ag industry. We've talked about it a lot on this program. Program, and that's the pending railroad strike for the Class 1 railroads. That strike could have started as early as December 9th, as several of the unions had not signed on to the proposed agreement, and the Senate got involved. Both the House and the Senate got involved. They wrote a piece of legislation uh, requiring the railroads to accept the deal that the Biden administration had put together back in September. Uh, they did add one paid day per year to the railroaders contract, and now this is expected to move forward. Now, there were several other competing bills here for this railroad uh, uh strike buster and one of those one of the big concerns that the railroads have been bringing up or the unions rather have been raising is the lack of sick time for the railroad employees there were several union members who were out over the week saying look all the money in the world doesn't do us any good if we're working when we're sick or if we can't get time off to see our kids grow so this bill adds that one paid sick day to the contract. However, a bill that was floated in the House of Representatives did pass in the House on Wednesday would have put seven days into the contract for these railroad workers. That bill did not make it into the Senate. The agreement that the House and Senate have now sent to President Joe Biden's death, desk rather said, says that uh, we are going to basically put the plan into place that had been previously negotiated. Now, the unions aren't thrilled with this, as, as one could imagine. Smart TD, the, one of the unions that had rejected the proposed agreement, issued a statement yesterday, and they said it was unfortunate that its members weren't able to approve the labor agreement. They did thank the Biden administration and congressional leadership for attempting to achieve more. But then they noted this, and this is the quote from their statement. Our members are for forced to work more hours, have less stability, suffer more stress, and receive less rest. The ask for sick leave was not out of preference, but rather out of necessity. No American worker should ever have to face the decision of going to work sick, fatigued, or mentally unwell versus getting disciplined or fired by their employer. Yet this is exactly what is happening every single day on this nation's largest freight railroads. End quote. That's from Smart TD, the metal workers union that had not signed on. And those sentiments were echoed by folks in other unions who said this does not address the core concerns that the employees have. And now there's worry that perhaps once these bonuses get paid out, as the deal gets approved, maybe we'll see a spate of retirements and quits on these railroads as these workers look to find more time with their family. At the end of the day, it looks like the strike has been averted. President Biden is expected to sign this deal today. And it should be noted that Congress does have special authority over the railroads, thanks to a law that was passed back in the 1920s. So once Congress or once Biden signs this, 
It is the law of the land for the rail workers. In the meantime, we are still seeing troubles in transportation on the Mississippi River, so the supply chain disruptions certainly aren't behind us. Now, if you take a look at the equity markets today, you'll notice that we are seeing quite a bit of a sell-off. Stocks this morning off 200 points, and this is following the news of this railroad strike being averted. A strike would have cost the U.S. economy over a billion dollars a day in lost economic activity, so that's good news. And we had a jobs report out this morning from the Department of Labor. Payrolls were up 263,000 jobs in November. Economists had been expecting to see around 200,000, so it was much larger than they had been anticipating and the Department of Labor hiked last month's payrolls as well just about 20,000 additional jobs created in October. Now these factors have come together and this makes the labor market look hot. These factors were combined with the other report that came out today on hourly wages. We've seen a lot of concern about how the U.S. consumer is going to hold up with these higher prices at the grocery store and at the gas pump and wages have had to have been climbing in order to keep that happening. Wages for the month of November were up 6%, excuse me, oh, that's a big change. They were up 0.6%, a, a sixth of a, of a percent. That is, however, the most this year that we have seen wages climb and year over year, October to October, wages are up 5.1% across the economy. Now that is much stronger than economists had been anticipating. It is much stronger than the Federal Reserve had been anticipating. And so this brings the question of interest rate hikes from the Fed back into focus. There was expectations earlier this week from Jerome Powell who said that the pace of rate hikes might start to moderate. Now with this labor market running so hot, a lot of market um, watchers are concerned that the Fed might have to bring that three-quarter basis point hike back into the market at their next FOMEC meeting, and that would be bearish for the equities, which is why we are seeing the stock market sell off on the day, despite this spate of good, broadly speaking, economic news. We do have some other big news here in the world of agriculture, a story we have been tracking since February. HPAI, highly pathogenic avian influenza, folks. We have more outbreaks detected, this time in Illinois. We haven't seen an outbreak in that state since last spring, and now it has re-emerged there in Illinois. Also have seen it spread among some commercial turkey operations in South Dakota. Three new outbreaks should be noted in South Dakota, Charles Mix, Hamlin, and Hanson counties. A total of 197,200 turkeys will uh, we'll have to be depopulated, and uh, that's on top of the 467,000 turkeys that were depopulated in the month of November. So HPAI continuing to spread, continuing to impact poultry production here across the country. And finally, folks, before we take a break here on segment one, we do have, I think, the final piece of news out of Sioux Falls, the pending case between Holstone Farms, the processing facility, and the Smart Growth Sioux Falls team that was seeking to shut that construction process down has now over. A judge in Minnehaha County has dismissed the lawsuit against Holstone Farms and the city of Sioux Falls, filed on behalf of Smart Growth Sioux Falls, and this clears the way for that construction to begin on that large pork processing plant up there in Sioux Falls. Folks, stick around. When AOA returns, Court Kovarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs at Clean Fuel Alliance America, will be with us. We're going to dig in those RVO numbers released yesterday by the EPA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. 
Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions. IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at dtn.com slash agsummit. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. You know, one of the ongoing concerns in the ag industry is the delays at some of the administrative bodies that oversee the work that we do, notably the Environmental Protection Agency, which is tasked with releasing the renewable volume obligations or the requirements for biofuels to be blended into the nation's gasoline supply. And uh, historically, they are a little late, a little slow to the party with those numbers. So this year, there was a big push, and EPA got those numbers out, the preliminary numbers for 2023. Finally, here just this past week, a couple of days ago, and in that, there were some wins for conventional ethanol producers, but perhaps some missed opportunities on the advanced biofuel side. And to join us and put this into a little better perspective is Kurt Kovarik. Now, he's the Vice President of Federal Affairs over at Clean Fuels Alliance America. And Kurt, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be with you, Mike. Let's talk about what this looks like from your perspective. The RVO release uh, earlier this week. How how did the administration miss the ball here when it comes to advanced biofuels? Sure, uh, great question. And and as you said, uh, EPA yesterday put out a proposal for setting volumes under the renewable fuel standard. One one positive spot, aside from the fact that this is well uh, overdue, is that they took this opportunity now to provide multiple years of volume obligations. So it's not just one year, it's for 2023, 24, and 25, which uh, we view as a positive step. Beyond that, everything is kind of a missed uh, missed opportunity here in what EPA put out um, in, in this regard specifically. Our industry right now is seeing enormous growth. We're at about 3.1 billion gallons worth of production uh, currently for this year. What EPA has proposed is to set volume requirements below that number for all three years, 23, 24, and 25. So rather than use this three-year proposal to send a signal to markets, both to, to feedstock providers, to soybean crush facilities, to rendering uh, facilities, to, to biodiesel and renewable diesel producers, they've done the exact opposite. They've essentially flatlined the volumes uh, with no no justification that we could see. We We were advocating for 
annual increases of 500 million gallons, what EPA has offered uh, is somewhere between 60 to 70 million gallons per year. So not even a tenth of what we were asking for. And if you look around the upper Midwest, you see enormous growth in demand and support for uh, soybean oil, canola oil, animal fats, used cooking oil, all feedstocks for our fuel. That's being supported by the demand for low-carbon alternatives to petroleum, something this administration has, has strongly touted for two years. They seem singularly focused on efforts to remove carbon from our, our energy sources. That is what our fuel is doing. So to undercut those investments and that market by not providing growth and any degree of, of uh, uh, confidence in our industry to, to build out and to produce those gallons, it's, it's baffling. The good news is this is just a proposal. We've got uh, time ahead of us, a comment period, before it's expected to be final next summer. So we'll get to work in trying to first understand what EPA's concerns might be, but then secondly, to work to, to course correct. Absolutely. That course correction is vital now that we get that comment period. And Kurt, while the renewable, the biofuel space has grown, it's also grown more complicated. It used to be soy-based biodiesel, corn ethanol, boom, boom, there we go, there's the number. Now we're talking conventional ethanol, we're talking advanced biofuels, we're talking cellulosic, cellulosic rather, and biomass diesel. Can you talk about how those, those non-corn-based ethanol biodiesels all work together in this space, or how are they different? Sure. Sure. Well, you, you say more complicated. I, I look at it as uh, we were kind of under the radar for a long time because, you know, we were the, the smaller partner to the ethanol industry. Ethanol industry gets a lot of attention, rightly so. They, they were developed long, long before us and, and were, are a, a greater part of the market. But biomass-based diesel, as you said, uh, 20 years ago was uh, primarily a product that was a, a, a pr product of the soybean uh, industry in the in the surplus soybean oil as a way to to find a home for all the oil. Well, the fact of the matter is we're we're greatly diversified. Soybean oil and canola are about 50% of our feedstocks today. Uh, the other 50% come come from pure waste oils and fats. So animal fats as a byproduct of rendering, uh, distillers corn oil, which is a byproduct of the ethanol uh, process, and used cooking oil. So all of these fats and oils that 20 years ago were being paid to dispose of are now a valuable commodity that is adding value whether you're alive if you're a livestock farmer you probably don't even know it but but the fact that the biodiesel industry is growing is supporting that value for your for your animal because there's a product now that has value that was being uh, a cost burden uh, previously as a result of that you know many of our many of our uh, our fuels have 80 to 90% less carbon because they're essentially a recycled product from a, from a waste uh, stream. So that, that's what's the most baffling about this EPA signal is rather than using the RFS to drive the, the, the development and the market for these lowest carbon intense fuels, uh, they've done the exact opposite. And, and to further answer your, your question, you asked about the differences in the fuels. Everybody knows what ethanol is, right? You put it in your, you see it at the pump when you fill up your, your car, your truck. Diesel fuel is a little more complicated. There's not, you know, that's a little different segment. But imagine trying to electrify long-haul duty trucking or construction equipment, locomotives, aviation. That's where our fuel goes. So our message is we offer some of the lowest carbon-emitting fuels in some of the hardest to decarbonize transportation sectors. There's no reason not to put the put the pedal to the metal on on biofuels in that regard. And, you know, one place that we have seen the market really working hard is the sustainable aviation fuel, the idea that jet fuel can be bio bio based. And I'm wondering, where did EPA come in on SAF? Is that a separate category under the RVOs or can you just give us an update there, Kurt? It's it's not a separate category. Uh, it depends on what the sustainable aviation fuel is produced from. So if it's produced from corn ethanol, it would be in the conventional bucket. If it's produced from uh, soybean oil or some other fuel, uh, some other feedstock that's 50% uh, cleaner, it'd be in the advanced category. And that's the true message here. You know, there's a lot of enthusiasm around sustainable aviation fuel. This rule does very little to further promote any build-out of sustainable aviation fuel in addition to the biodiesel, renewable diesel, or ethanol that we have today.
Kurt, with this EPA RVO plan being so underwhelming from the industry's perspective, being below production as it stands today, can the industry just dis disregard it? The market demands must be there for the products that we're creating. Will it will it just push forward? It could push forward. What what we're concerned about is that the RFS is still kind of the, the bedrock upon which our industry uh, was created. And it does add significant support uh, for producers all across the nation and, and of all different sizes. Our concern would be as we see new renewable diesel coming in, from perhaps petroleum interests, we don't want that new new fuel to be at the expense of, you know, a farmer-owned biodiesel plant in the Midwest, for example. So, in order to maintain that, you know, we continue to add gallons rather just rather than just divert from one source to another, these RVOs have to keep up with uh, what that market looks like. If it doesn't, you know, we run the risk of simply displacing one biodiesel producer in 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 Iowa. To, to support a renewable diesel producer on the coast, which isn't good. Our, our goal is to add as many gallons as we can from all resources to displace petroleum. All right, that is the key, Kurt, for the next step. When does the comment period start? How does this, uh, this discussion go next with the EPA? Sure, they have a public hearing in January. The comment period is open now, uh, closes early February, February 10th, I believe, and then uh, the rule should be final by about the second week in June. So we've got we've got some time here. We're gonna do our work to get in front of the administration, the EPA administrator, our champions on, on Capitol Hill to convey these messages that while it may have been okay on the conventional side, uh, it's an enormous missed opportunity on the advanced and biodiesel side. Kurt, is it worthwhile to have farmers add their comments in here to the EPA's decision-making process? Absolutely, and, and that's a great, great point, Mike, is that you know, we've seen with the announcements in, in renewable diesel and biodiesel, the crush announcements are, are coming soon after. In fact, we've got about $4 billion worth of crush uh, expansions or new construction taking place throughout the Midwest. Those are contingent upon the growth in this industry. So if EPA undermines or doesn't send a proper market signal, those, those investments could easily vanish. And what does that mean for a soybean farmer who's located five or ten miles from one of those facilities? That's the economic development that we'll lose, the value-added agriculture that we'll lose if this rule is finalized in this way. All right. Well, that battle with the EPA is heating up, folks. If you want to make your comments, speak on behalf of biofuels, get on there, make those comments to the EPA before February 9th. We've been talking with Kurt Kovark. He is the Vice President of Federal Affairs at Clean Fuels Alliance America. Kurt, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be with you. And folks, stick around. More AOA next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what's going on here in this grain and oilseed trade on this Friday as we see that the wheat market continuing to show double-digit losses. Bean oil under pressure again on Friday after the sharp drop on Thursday. More on that in a second. Corn market down moderately following wheat and bean oil to the downside while soybeans are trading right around the unchanged mark. About a couple of cents either side of unchanged. Now, we saw soybean oil 
lock limit lower for much of Thursday's trading session. Follow through selling being seen in today's market as well. A few reasons for the weaker soy oil market, in which we see that crush is historically strong with high oil yields. A couple of renewable diesel plants went down, leading to some sizable deliveries of unused oil managed money had built large ownership which began to liquidate and everything really just started feeding on itself then the epa came out with their final rule for the rfs and they also said that canola oil derived renewable diesel sustainable aviation fuel and other biofuels now qualify as advanced biofuels under the renewable fuel standard program that allows canola oil to compete directly with soy oil as a feedstock for renewable diesel and other advanced biofuels and Soy oil must now compete with canola oil for the business, and that's part of why we're seeing this mass exodus in the bean oil complex follow through there here on Friday. Now, again, overall, uh, seeing soybeans actually extend their gains now as I refresh my commodity screen. But we're just going to be watching kind of some volatility to wrap up the week here as we look at the market trade. Livestock fairly mixed. We saw a really strong day Thursday in hogs, not seeing follow-through strength there so far today. Feeder cattle up a bit with the corn market down. Live cattle just trading mixed. Crude oil's up about 1%, and the Dow Jones down about 300 points. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Thanks for joining us today. You know, over the past couple of years, we have seen a lot of attention from folks outside the world of agriculture on our industry. We've seen this in Washington, D.C. We've seen a new focus on, on animal agriculture in particular. And I'm curious as to how that has spread out through the population. How How is the animal ag industry viewed by folks outside our industry? Well, one group keeps track of that, and that's the animal Animal Ag Alliance. They have spent uh, this past year investigating and keeping track of the work that animal rights extremists are up to. And they just issued a report cataloging five different conventions they visited over this past year. And joining me now to discuss it is Emily Solis. She's the manager of communications and content at the Animal Ag Alliance. And Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Let's talk about this report that uh, Animal Ag Alliance just released looking back on these five animal rights conferences. Emily, what conferences did the group look at? Sure, so monitoring animal rights extremism is really an integral part of what the Animal Agriculture Alliance does. Um, so every year we send representatives to a number of different conferences from some of the main groups that we follow within the animal rights movement so that we can keep track of what's happening within the movement, what campaigns are coming down the pipeline, what trends can we expect to see in the future. Uh, so this year we attended, we had uh, representatives attend the Humane Society of the United States' Taking Action for Animals Conference, which was held July 16th and 17th in Washington, D.C. Um, we also had representatives at the Rancher Advocacy Program Summit's um, annual event held July 30th. Um, the Farmed Animal Conference e-Summit held uh, September 16th through the 18th. Um, this conference in particular is uh, much newer. It's actually taken the place over the last couple years of the National Animal Rights Conference, which was always um, 
a really big event within the animal rights community. Uh, we also had representatives attend Animal Legal Defense Fund's Animal Law Symposium and also their Animal Law Conference, um, which were held in Arlington, Virginia and Portland, Oregon. That is a big spread that covers a lot of different groups with a, their hands in a lot of different aspects of advocacy and extremist work here in the ag industry. I'm curious, were there any broad themes? Are these groups feeling like they've had a successful couple of years? Absolutely. There are definitely themes that transcend across the different conferences. Um, a lot of these groups, they do focus on different things like HSUS is very, very lobbying focused focused. The rancher advocacy program is very focused on trying to transition livestock farmers away from raising livestock and towards raising plant-based crops and commodities. Um, and then there's groups like Animal Legal Defense Fund, which are very much focused on the legal side um, of animal rights and legal personhood and issues like that. Uh, but even given their very broad um, focus on a lot of different areas, they're broad focus on different tactics to achieve their ultimate agenda, which is to take meat, milk, poultry, and eggs off of our table and ultimately eliminate consumer choice. There were definitely uh, trends and common themes that we saw across the board. This includes the promotion of the use of quote unquote undercover videos to try to uh, really pull on the heartstrings of the general public to really get them to empathize with the animal rights cause. Um, undercover videos are not something new. They're something that have been around for quite some time. We see it used by almost every group within the animal rights movement. They found this tactic to be very effective in getting people to sympathize with their cause. Um, and we certainly expect them to continue this trend um, as well as just very similarly trying to get more media attention for their cause. Uh, these undercover videos in the past, they have been really good about getting a lot of media attention, um, but we continue to see them looking for other ways that they can get the media involved. Um, and, you know, a lot of times the stories that they promote are very sensationalized and that's what the media is looking for. Um, so we see we definitely expect that to continue. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. The social media has added a lot of new avenues for these groups to get their messages out there. I'm wondering, Emily, from a political perspective, were any of these groups advocating for legal changes that might come up in D.C. here uh, in the future? Sure. There are definitely trends that we're seeing right now within the legislative aspect of the animal rights movement. Um, as I mentioned, Animal Legal Defense Fund, um, maybe not necessarily legislative, but from the legal aspect, um, they're very much involved in trying to um, push legal personhood in the in the court system. Um, and we're also seeing them really being behind a lot of state initiatives and state bills that are being put forth that are ultimately trying to provide an advocate for animals in court cases. Um, so this isn't necessarily granting animals legal personhood, but it is a tactic for these groups to use what they call um, kind of incremental steps towards their ultimate goal. So if legal personhood is their goal, they're going to take a smaller step, which is just to grant an animal some type of advocate in the court case, which can speak on their behalf, however, however that's done. Um, and then ultimately, they'll try to push the envelope a little bit further um, to try to get them legal personhood. Yeah, and that is something I think is worth emphasizing. Again, what ALDF is working to do is to make sure or to try to get that cow on your operation to have the same standing in a court of law as a person, right? Isn't that the legal personhood argument, Emily? Absolutely. That is exactly what they're pushing for. They think that animals, they describe them as quote unquote sentient beings. Um, and their belief is that they are at the same level, um, at the same importance, same value as a human, um, that they should have all of the same rights as humans. There's actually a group out of California that's been advocating very adamantly for the last couple years um, for an animal bill of rights in the state of California. So um, definitely something that they are pushing for is the same full rights that humans have within the animal system as well. Yeah, that would be a big change if those folks are successful. It's worth keeping that name on top of mind to see when it pops up in the news. Emily, were there any other concerns or tactics that might be changing here in this next year for these activists? I think something else to keep on the radar is um, a recent trial out of Utah. 
Um, several years ago in 2017, I believe, activists with Direct Action Everywhere, which is one of the most extreme groups that we follow, um, that's the same group that's behind the Animal Bill of Rights in California. Um, they were actually, uh, there were several activists that were charged with stealing two pigs from a farm in Utah. Um, that court case was just held in October, I believe, and it was found that um, the activists, they were acquitted by an anonymous jury of stealing these two pigs. They did, they were very upfront, very outright that they did steal these two animals. Um, but ultimately, the jury felt that um, they had the right to do so. They made the claim that the animals were abused, they were sick, they needed help. Um, and ultimately, they were successful in really, again, pulling on the heartstrings of those jurors and getting them to sympathize with the animal rights cause. Uh, so that's certainly uh, concerning. We expect them to continue these efforts of trespassing on the farm, stealing animals, and to really use this court case as a justification for their efforts moving forward. Yeah, this is just going to be encouraging these activists, isn't it, now that they, uh, they've got an example or a precedent where they can get away with it effectively? Absolutely. I was curious, Emily, about uh, those undercover videos in particular. We saw a lot of states pass what were labeled as ag-gag laws, and now a lot of those have been declared unconstitutional or they've been modified. Is there the possibility that we could see those come back as these activists focus on undercover videos? So we do see a lot of these ag-gag bills, as they're called. Um, we describe them as farm protection bills. Um, we do see them a lot. We also see them come up a lot in the news after they pass that animal rights groups are trying to put them through the court system to declare them as unconstitutional. And a lot of times they do come back that way. Um, we do continue to expect to see a lot of these bills being put forth, especially as the New Year's coming up um, and the, the legislatures are being put back in session. Um, so I would expect to see a number of these ag-gag bills being put forth again. Uh, but very much likewise, expecting to see a lot of these groups trying to to put them through the court case again to deem them unconstitutional and ultimately um, not be effective in the states that they're trying to be effective in. Yeah, that is something else. I'm wondering, the audience at the conventions, I, did, did your undercover reporters tell you the size of the crowds that these, are they growing in membership here, these animal rights groups, Emily, do we know? Uh, we don't really have a number on the number of animal rights supporters. Um, we do know that they have a decent size following, but I think it's really important to note that although these groups are very loud, they make a lot of noise, um, they really don't transcend across the board to the general public. Um, I know PETA had put out some really bizarre tweets during Thanksgiving, and there was a lot of backlash from um, Twitter users being very surprised at what they were saying. There were some even stating that Nobody really takes PETA and other groups like that seriously. Um, so I think that's the benefit is that although these groups do make a lot of noise, they do try to get media attention. Most of the general public does not share their viewpoints. They don't share their stance. Um, and that's really important to know because we can reach those people, those movable middle, the general public that we're trying to reach. That is so important. Of course, uh, a lot of the Animal Ag Alliance folks get together in 2023 for the Stakeholders Summit. Emily, do you know uh, when the, that event will be held? Yes. So our 2023 Stakeholders Summit will be held May 4th and 5th in Arlington, Virginia. This year's theme is Partners in Progress, Building a Sustainable Future for Animal Ag. So really working on bringing together all the different sectors of animal ag um, to continue progress related to sustainability efforts. Fantastic, folks. You can learn more about that at animalagalliance.org. We've been talking with Emily Solis. She's the manager of communication and content there. Emily, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. Mike Zuzalo will join us with a market breakdown here to close the show. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. 
And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times. Hey, man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a nine to five. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. To close the show today, we're going to take a look at the commodity markets with Mike Zuzalo, founder and president of Global Commodity Research and Analytics. And Mike, it looks like wheat is the story today. What's prompting the sell-off in all three classes of the wheat market? You know, Mike, it's great to be with you. I think the short answer is the Russia-Ukraine peace talks are being traded around and talked about by the trade ever since the uh, dual press conference by the president of France and, and our president here in the United States. And you, you have this compared to this maximum pressure campaign that Russia has been involved in ever since the beginning of winter. And ideas are that it's going to continue to be a maximum pressure campaign until we saw this press conference yesterday. So I think that's probably in the short term, the biggest issue that's taken us down to some pretty critical levels on the monthly charts and, and really opened up the downside if we take out too much more of the uh, prices as the December contracts get ready to go off the board here in a few days. Well, Mike, I'm glad you mentioned this. I'm just looking at the Chicago March wheat contract, and it looks like we are dancing right there on those August lows. And what happens if we break below them here and close before the weekend sub those levels? You know, that's an interesting question, because if you take away most of the single news items we've been dealing with for the past two or three months, um, and you look at the overall picture, I see it this way. We see a familiar theme, Mike, and I think that is the wheat breakdown historically leads to a breakdown in the corn and soybeans in the following weeks or if not months or so. And you can see that after the 2008 rally, after the 2012 rally. And, and without South American weather, you know, they tend to really want to follow the wheat complex. And so I think that's where is it the market getting ready to readjust to new supplies coming back on the market? Um, I think that's the best guess if it wasn't uh, developed around or, or centered around the peace coming out and breaking out in Russia and Ukraine. And all of a sudden we see a lot more free flowing supplies out of the Baltic. Those free flowing supplies out of the Baltic, Mike, there's talk that there could be Ukrainian corn coming in with these grain exports. We're seeing some weakness in the corn market today. Is it fundamental in your mind or is this just, as you mentioned, that spillover weakness from the wheat market as the traders watch the whole complex? No, I think it is a combination. I think you do have a situation where the corn demand is clearly on its own here in the United States weak. We, we don't have to worry about the rail strike as much. We don't have to worry about the river levels. But November, the damage was done. And I think the biggest single issue for me in the corn, and this kind of smells back to the 2013 MIR 162 issue, is that China came in and took on GMO so, uh, corn from the Brazilians. And they, those numbers just came out for November they took in almost shipped out almost 6 million tons, over 6 million tons of corn in Brazil. That's almost three times more than they did in November of 2021. So I think there's definitely a combination of, of taking away from uh, uh, supplies, from competitors, uh, getting that business and, and the wheat led uh, break to the downside. So, Mike, if I'm sitting with some unpriced grain in the bin, I'm waiting for the new year to get some some corn sales on the books. Is that still the best approach? Is, is sitting and holding it here the way to go? Or would you be getting some protection under those unpriced bushels, given that we're kind of dancing on the head of a pin here? Yeah, I'm in the camp right now, Mike, with the way the structure of the market is, with the base is still pretty strong of, of maybe looking at an, on a general mindset, looking at selling the cash bushels for the cash flow needs, and then looking to come back in and buy back what I think is a discounted market, especially if you're talking about the corn. And I would even say that for the beans. The beans probably with this new biofuel EPA RFS proposal out, um, probably have the most downside potential because we've got a lot of jet biofuel uh, bean bulls in this market that may have to clear out if we don't have good uh, a good weather market in December. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that. We talked earlier with Kurt Kovarik from the Clean Fuels Alliance America about those RVO issues, and we saw that sell-off yesterday in the soybean market. From a technical perspective, Mike, what did yesterday's price action do in beans? Where do we sit now uh, from a levels perspective? Yeah, if you look at a monthly bean chart, you've got a nice wedge forming and a support line pretty much right underneath you, about 20 cents, Mike. And I think that makes sense because you have had several things supporting the beans, but we can kind of start ticking the boxes now of whether we need to hold a premium or not. That makes sense. Mike, are you looking ahead to 23 crop year sales at all quite yet, either in corn or in beans? Not in corn right now, but started around that 1390 to 1395 level in November beans. And 
with the people, especially east of the Mississippi River, it looked like to me the straightforward contract with a 30 to 35 under basis was not a bad place to start for your first 10, 15 percent. Indeed. Indeed, Mike, we saw some reports out this morning. Uh, wages are continuing to climb here across the country. Good news for America's cattle producers because that beef is getting expensive at the retail location. What have we seen recently in uh, cash cattle trade? Yeah, great question because the feeder cattle are really something to watch here. We've been talking for months about a hole in marketings in the feeder cattle because of the drought and, and the cattle on feed numbers showing these big placements. I, I think we've stepped into that big hole now at this point because I'm hearing some pretty terrific cash prices in Nebraska and northern Kansas. I heard a truckload of uh, Kansas cattle, 1,000 pounds went for a buck 75. And, you know, these are just unbelievable prices, but very well deserved given the drought conditions we're dealing with in this part of the country. So I'd be, I'm watching extra carefully the cattle market to see if we don't put a high here in the next 10, 15 days. You know, the core, the, the other side of that cattle market, of course, consumer demand. Mike, what have we seen on that choice select beef spread recently? Yeah, I'm, I'm watching that, Mike, but I think the majority of the choice uh, select beef spread is more of a function of the stronger dollar bringing in more imports. But we have had a very strong ground beef market, and that's very good news. I think that as we get through the Christmas seasonal, this uh, choice select spread to me will become more and more important. So it's on my radar, but it's not maybe the top five issues to deal with yet. Um, I'm, I'm more interested maybe in what we do in the export market. And we did 20%, almost 20% better on weekly export sales of beef. And that was a good number for me. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Tell our listeners, where can they read your insights? How can they get in touch with you if they've got further questions? Yeah, best way is to go to globalcomresearch.com and that's globalcom with two Ms, research.com. I've got a free trial tab take a look at what we do and see if you like it. Fantastic, folks. That's Mike Zuzalo, founder and president of Global Commodity Research and Analytics. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Have a great weekend. You as well. And folks, we hope you do as well. Join us on Monday. We'll talk weather with John Baranek of DTN Weather. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. 2022 will be remembered for chaos between war, inflation, and weather. But if there's one thing farmers know, it's that there's no such thing as normal. That's why this year's DTN Ag Summit will focus on strategies to help conquer the chaos and ways farmers can build endurance for their business. Hear from leaders at CHS, Bayer, and Corteva, as well as farmers from across the country, all from the comfort of your home or office. Join us for this completely virtual event held December 12th and 13th. Register today at DTN.com slash Ag Summit. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.